0: Amen. And now, would you open up your hearts and your minds uh, to hear the word of the Lord as it is read to you this morning from Ezekiel 37?
1: Good morning. Ezekiel 37 1 through 14. the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones and he led me around them and among them and behold there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold they were very dry and he said to me son of man can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you And I will cause flesh to come upon you, and I will cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and and flesh came upon them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. you in the land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word.
0: Oh, my, my. Do you hear that text? That's, that's a pretty amazing text. Just in case you missed it, there's a valley and there's dry bones, meaning that they're dead. Bones laying around in a valley. And then they, they grow. Flesh on them. And they come to life. And they turn into an army. Because the spirit of God blew on them. What an amazing image. Like, A little creepy. A little wild. A little eccentric. But amazing. That comes from an Old Testament prophet well before the time of Jesus. Um, but it's a famous story, and the question that's asked before the bones turn into life again, verse three that Mike read, the core question of the text, which is a core question for you and I, whether you caught it or not, this is a core question for our life. Can these bones live? Can these dead, dry bones live again? That's a question that we'll ask our whole lifetime, and that's an answer that only God knows. And how do we choose to answer that question? How do we find the answer to that question? And that's part of what we're going to look into today. Today is the concluding sermon to our fall series called Surprised by the Gospel. and We've been going through the order of salvation this fall, beginning from before the beginning of time, before anything else was, and how God knew us before the world was even formed. And today we get to get to the grand finale and answer the question, can these bones live again? Can dead things come back to life? What is our destiny? And so uh, before we get into today's text, which will actually be from 1 Corinthians 15, which is printed in your bulletin today, uh, I want to read from Romans chapter 8. Verses 28 to 30, because this is actually a, a three-verse summary of basically what we've been doing this entire fall. So if you haven't been here for every Sunday this fall, or you've missed a few things, um, this, is, this will catch you up pretty quick. And it's going to be on the screen for you, Romans 8, 28 to 30. This is what it says. You'll recognize the first verse, probably. It says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then this is when we get into the order of salvation part. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined before the beginning of time, he also called, you and I individually. And those whom he called, he also justified. He brought us to faith in Christ. And those whom he justified, he also... This is what we're going to answer today. The the, the blank there is what we're going to talk about today. So Kevin, you can reveal the answer now. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Glorification is what we're going to talk about today. Because this is the final part of all of our stories. The final part of our story is glorification. How the, the person whom God calls from before all time, whom he, he had you in mind before the mountains were formed, before light even existed, he knew you. That the God who knew you then has a plan to bring you all the way to a final point of being glorified. What does that mean? What does it mean to be glorified? That's what we're going to talk about today. So there's a hundred ways we could talk about this, and there's a hundred things we could talk about within this sermon, but I don't have a hundred minutes to give you, so I'll take 25. And, And I'm going to talk about it this way. I'll do it in this order. What, when, where, why? Just because that's the way I thought of to do it this week. So the first part is what. What is glorification? Or another way you could ask it is, What happens to us when we die? What happens to us at death the moment that we die? So before we go any further, let me just refer this to you. This is 1 Corinthians 15. This is printed in your bulletin, so each of you have it. I'd encourage you to follow along, because this is where I'll be getting my my points from, because this is about the scripture. It's not about my great ideas or things that I think are great to talk about. Um, I'm going to teach you, hopefully, what... You know 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us about glorification. This is just one of many scriptural passages we could use. But let me read this. This is the apostle Paul. He says, "I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery: we shall not all sleep or die." That's what that means. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Amen. So that's where we're going today. Number one, what happens to us when we die? What happens at death? And my first question to you to answer that question is, which death are you talking about? Did you know that in the Bible, there's actually two deaths that are mentioned? There's, there's actually two deaths. All of us, every one of us will go through two deaths. The Bible teaches there are two deaths. The first death is one that all of us have already experienced. Did you know this? That the Bible teaches us that all of us have already gone through one death. It's a spiritual death that happened the moment that humanity chose to do things other than the way God intended to them. So this is classic theology of the Bible, Genesis 3. The minute Adam and Eve chose to sin, all of us now live in a broken world, a world full of sin and death. And so therefore, death is now the destiny that all of us go through. But that's not even what we're talking about yet. The death that we've experienced already is separation from God, a spiritual death. Our relationship with God has been broken. And so that's what we live into, every one of us as humans. And so we've gone through that. Ephesians chapter 2, which if you come to our Wednesday Zoom Bible study, we'll we get into that core text very soon, it's one place we talk about it. But other other parts, maybe you're more familiar with Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's acknowledging all of us walk through life as a valley of the shadow of death. It's a reality that each of us go through. We are, in one real sense, the Walking Dead. If any of you have watched that TV show? All of us really live into that. And so, if you're if you have your Bible open, and you're in First Corinthians 15. Um, you know, again, we're looking at verses 50 to 58, but 42 to 49 really talk a lot about uh, this as well what it means to be a perishable human. So we have all these food items we're giving away for Thanksgiving, and we asked for imperishable food items like canned goods that could last a little bit longer. And then we said, we will take a few perishable items that are necessary, but make sure they're fresh when you give them to us because they have a, a date that they'll go bad, right? Each of us as humans, Paul teaches us, the Bible teaches us, are perishable. We have an end date. We have an expiring date on each of us. So that's the first death that all of us go through. Then there's the second death, which is really interesting because I don't know, I've really heard this taught much because you have to teach the book of Revelation to see the exact phrase. But one, two, three, four times in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, he the, bio, the, the author of Revelation talks about the second death. So in Revelation 2, he says, the one who conquers or the one who perseveres and makes it through life, through faith in Christ, will not be hurt by the second death. And then later on, in the, towards the end of the book of Revelation, uh, it talks about those who share in the resurrection over such the second death has no power. But then it says, uh, and later on in Revelation 20, verse 14, it says, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And so there's a first death we go through spiritually. And then there's a second death at the end of time where our destiny is, is met. Will you experience the second death? And so when we're talking about what happens when you die, that's where that second death comes in because that is the reality for us. In Christ, though, it says that at that second death, the moment you breathe your last breath here, which we don't know when that day is going to be. We'll talk about the when in just a moment. But when that does happen, it says in verse 51, behold, we shall all be changed. What happens when you die? You will be changed immediately. Paul admits that this is a mystery. He's like, he's like, behold, this is a mystery. So he's like, I'm only going to tell you what I understand. So I'm only going to do that too. I'm not going to give you more than what Paul says. But he does say there is a change that happens the minute that you die. He says in verse 50, he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So you and I in this room now are all flesh and blood. we all have blood that's alive, we have flesh on our skin we're like we're like everybody else that's alive. we are living people, but that cannot just walk in to eternity. flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, so therefore a change must happen. our perishable bodies cannot inherit the imperishable, like everything else you know our perishable bodies will pass away and so just pause there for a second. That's, that should be pretty humbling to each of us to realize that we have a perishable body, that none of us are able to escape the aging process. And I, as I look across the room, we're all in various parts in that aging process. And again, that's the beautiful thing about an intergenerational church. We get to, we get to see it from early life to, to, to the end of life. But we all have aches and pains, we get diseases, we have sin, we're not infinite, we're not immortal. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So after we perish and die, something must happen. We must take on something different. The perishable must put on the imperishable, the mortal must put on immortality. And the question is how, how does that happen? verses 42 to 48 teach us about a new resurrection body that each of us are awaiting in glorification. When we die, we will receive a new resurrection body. Amen. Each of us are going to receive a resurrection body. All those aches, all those pains, all those difficulties will fade away into a resurrection body. What is that going to be like? What is that going to look like? How do we understand that? This is where there's a mystery. I don't know. I've never been, I've never seen what your resurrection body is going to look like. I haven't been to heaven. But there is one example we can look at to give us an evidence of what a resurrection body will look like. There's only one person who died, who experienced the second death, and then was glorified and had a new body. Jesus Christ himself. And there's actually quite a bit of stories about the resurrected Jesus with his new resurrected body. So if you look at a couple of different examples, I'll give you some references. John 20, verses 19 to 23. This is after Jesus was raised from the dead. One of the things that Jesus did in his resurrection body was it says, it says he went and he met the disciples inside a room, though the doors were locked So the resurrected Jesus walked through locked doors somehow and visited the disciples. So that gives us one interesting element of what a resurrected body is capable of. But it also said that Jesus bore on his body the holes in his hands and the scars on his side. So his resurrected glorified body still had evidence of the crucifixion that he had just undergone. He was recognizable by his wounds, by his scars. Another example is in John 21. Jesus is on the beach and his disciples are out at the sea. And Jesus is cooking breakfast, making a meal for his disciples. So he's still eating a meal. So a resurrected glorified body is still capable of cooking and eating breakfast, apparently. Then there's the story of the road to Emmaus, where Jesus is walking with two disciples along a road, and it says they don't recognize that it was Jesus. They just thought it was a man. They didn't recognize who it was. Or there's the story of when Mary sees Jesus right after the resurrection. And it says that she thought he was the gardener. They didn't recognize who Jesus was. And then there's the story of, uh, of how Jesus you know, left the Holy Spirit with us. How, right before he went up back up into heaven, he said, it's better for me to leave you and let me breathe the Holy Spirit onto each of you. He left the Holy Spirit with us. So those are just a couple of things that we know about a glorified body from the examples of Jesus himself. It's a spiritual body, yet also immensely physical as well in a new way, in a new glorified world. That's what we're gonna be changed into as believers in Jesus, when the minute you die, you will be, you'll be given this glorified, beautiful new body. It says in the scriptures that if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. How cool of a reality is that? That the, the end of our story is that we get to be like Jesus when he was resurrected. We get to experience the same transformation. We will have a new physical body just like he did too. It'll be new and perfect and different, but you'll be recognizably you as well. Probably bearing some kind of scars on your body that make it recognizable that it was your life that was lived so that people could understand and recognize you through some of the pain and suffering that you went through. Isn't that unique to think about? That some of the hardest things that have happened in your life... May be the things that remain on your glorified body, so that people will know that it's you. Wow. And perhaps even I was—I was having dinner with someone this week, and the conversation turned this way, and it prompted me to include this in the sermon. Um, someone asked. They were, we were talking about names, our, our, our all, all of our individual names. So I'm Stephen, for instance. And the person asked, they said, do you think there's another name for us that God has, like a true name that God has for us that personalizes us even more so than what our earthly name is? And it was a beautiful thought. And I think that might even be a reality of what a glorified heavenly reality is gonna be, is that God is gonna look us in the eye and call us by a name that is even more true than Stephen White. And just to give an example of this, if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, for instance, this is what my mind went to. At the end of the first book of the Chronicles of Narnia, the children who went to Narnia and who are the kings and queens of Narnia, you know, Peter and Lucy and the whole family, at the very end, they're they're given thrones to sit on because they're now the rulers of this magical land. And it's, and Aslan, the God character in the story, he's giving each of the children land in this, and he's giving them quadrants of land. And he says this, to the glistening eastern sea, I give you Queen Lucy, the valiant, to the great western woods, King Edmund, the just, to the radiant southern sun, Queen Susan, the gentle And to the clear northern skies, I give you King Peter, the Magnificent. Do you hear those add-ons? Like, what a beautiful longing maybe that's created in us of what God is going to do for us in our glorified realities as well. Just to give another C.S. Lewis quote, this is from one of his theological works. He says this. He says, if we let him, God will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine, a bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long, but that is what we are in for, nothing less. Dazzling, radiant, immortal creature. That's you. That's you. In all your wrinkles and all your pain and all your suffering and all your sorrow, one day you will be dazzling, radiant, immortal. That's what's going to happen. So that's the what. When does this take place? Verse 52. Again, all this is a mystery. Verse 52, though, tells us when some of this takes place. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. So in one sense, it's all happening at once, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That's how quickly this happens. That's how quick you go from this life to the next. Again, the moment your breath leaves you, that's when this change happens. It's instantaneous. It's that quick. That's how quick the dazzle comes into your life. That's how quick immortality meets you through faith in Jesus. If you're justified by faith, In Christ, we immediately become immortalized to live life forever. We are dressed and clothed in his righteousness. And we enter into his paradise today, just like the thief on the cross did when Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So it's instantaneous. But then it also has this this mentioning of the trumpet. At the last trumpet... The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. So this is clearly a future day when the trumpet will sound and the Lord will return and may bring all this to pass. And there's all kinds of scriptures that talk about this. Jesus talks about the trumpet call. Isaiah the prophet, Zechariah the prophet talk about the trumpet call. The apostle Paul talks about it in First Thessalonians 4.16. I'll read this one. It says, The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will raise first. And then the book of Revelation picks up the trumpet theme as well. So there's this there's this moment at the end of all time, which we don't know when that is, that's the mystery, but that's when God will make it all come to pass. And so the when is probably the hardest question to answer. I'm not going to tell you it's coming tomorrow because of certain political events or life circumstances. But we know that there is a day when that trumpet will sound and the Lord will come. And when God will bring about his new creation work. So we die, we go to God's presence immediately when we die and we are glorified. And then there's also kind of this second time when God's bringing about his new creation And heaven descends and and comes onto earth and and the earth becomes the new heaven and the new earth. And we dwell with the Lord here again. That's what the Bible teaches in Revelation 21 and 22. So that's the when. What about the where? I'm not asking where is heaven because that's kind of pointless to ask. I don't know. I can't go to heaven. I don't know where it is. What I do know, it's not... It's not the clouds because I flew on an airplane last week. I didn't see it up there. So it's got to be somewhere different than that. The where question that I'm asking is where does the pain and suffering we're all experiencing now fit into this? Where does today fit in? So verses 54 to 57, it leads us into this answer. But let me just, before I even get into that, let me just tell you a story from the Lord of the Rings. Because this is where the sermon title comes from. The sermon title is, Everything Sad Will Come Untrue. And that's stolen straight from the Lord of the Rings. It's a story at the end of the book or the movie, The Return of the King. And it's telling the story of Sam. They've gone through this really difficult Shadow experience, death and difficulty and pain and suffering. And Sam awakes. He's one of the main characters. And he says, it wasn't a dream. Where are we? He wakes up. And it says this. Let me just read directly some of it. It says, a voice spoke softly behind him. Quote, in the land of Athelion, and in the keeping of the king and he awaits you. And with that, Gandalf, the king, stood before him, robed in white, his beard now gleaming like pure snow in the twinkling of leafy sunlight. Well, Master Sam, how do you feel, he says. Sam lay back and stared with open mouth, and for a moment, between bewilderment and great joy, he could not answer. And then he says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I myself was dead too. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What has happened to the world? And then it says this. A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all joys he had ever known. But he himself burst into tears Then as a sweet rain will pass down, a wind of spring and the sun will shine out the clearer, his tears ceased and his laughter welled up and laughing, he sprang from his bed. How do I feel, he cried. Well, I don't know how to say it. I feel, I feel, and he waved his arms in the air. I feel like spring after winter and sun on the leaves and like trumpets and harps and all the songs I've ever heard. Everything sad is coming untrue. Is what he said. Where does all the pain and suffering that we're experiencing now fit in? Verse fifty-four says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? We all feel the badness, the sadness, the evil, the brokenness, the hardship of our day. It is real. It confronts us. Each of us experience it in our own ways. But the promise in scripture is that all that is sad will come untrue. It's not that it's not real. It's not that we're not really experiencing it. But it's that in Christ it is all being undone completely. And somehow we are all the more better because of the sadness and the brokenness that we've endured here. So the answer to the where question is, where does the sin and death go? It goes away forever. In glorification, all the evil, all the suffering, all the pain, the Bible promises the most extravagant promise of all time, which is that it's all going to go away. Everything sad will come untrue. It is not going to exist anymore. It is swallowed up in victory. It is gone, never to be seen again, vanished And our sin and our pain that we've endured has been heard by God throughout the generations. Our tears have been held in his hand. All of them were laid at the cross of Jesus. They are dealt with finally by his blood and they were endured by the God of creation for you and me so that you and I can have victory and give thanks to him for it all coming untrue at the end. Tim Keller, he loved the Lord of the Rings and so he was riffing on this, um, everything sad will come untrue. And this is the quote on the front of your bulletin. He puts it eloquently. He says, on the day of the Lord, when the trumpet sounds, that day that God makes everything right, that day that everything sad comes untrue, on that day, the same thing will happen to your hurts and sadness. You will find that the worst things that have ever happened to you will in the end only enhance your eternal delight. On that day, all of it will be turned inside out, and you will know joy beyond the walls of the world. The joy of your glory will be that much greater for every scar you bear. So, why? The last question is why? Why is glorification so needed for us? Because we're not glorified yet. We're still walking around in these perishable bodies waiting to be. Uh, changed. I read another book this week. It's a novel, a true novel, but it's called Everything Sad is Untrue. Again, pick it on the same theme. It's a great book. It's about an Iranian refugee. I highly recommend it. But he has this beautiful line where he says, what you believe about the future will change how you live in the present. That's why it's so important to talk about glorification because what we believe about what will happen when we die changes how you live today. So what's the why for today that we can walk out the door with today in our perishable bodies? You know, we've talked a lot about heaven today, not in totality, but we've talked a lot about it. But there's two extremes we have to avoid when we think about heaven. Number one is discounting it, thinking that it's too good to be true. We experience so much pain and suffering here that something that good, that dazzling, that beautiful, that, that ties the bow around everything so neatly, that couldn't possibly be true. We cannot do that. We have to have the hope of heaven to make it through this, that the hope of goodness, the hope of all this having some kind of meaning or purpose. So that's the one extreme. The other extreme is overemphasizing heaven and forgetting about our life here and just saying, well, we're all going to get to heaven one day anyway and just waiting our whole life for that day. But as one theologian says, he says, heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world. Heaven is the continuation of what we have now. So we can't just leave everything behind and just wait for it. We live in the already but the not yet now. In Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in your life that changes, profoundly changes your present day in preparation for that final day when it all makes sense. And it's all given to you in full. So, how should the hope and truth of glorification and eternal heaven impact today? Paul tells us pretty clearly in verse 58, that last verse. He says, Therefore, be steadfast and immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. So, keep going, be steadfast, be immovable. Trust in the hope of salvation that you've been given in Christ. Trust in the hope of heaven that is to come. Trust that what the Bible is proposing is the best explanation for why things are the way they are and the purpose of why we go through all this, that there is meaning to it all. Everything sad will come untrue. Every work that we do in the Lord is not in vain. It is hard, it's difficult, but take heart. Even when our sin and our sinful, broken world tries to wreck us and our work and and lead us away from truth and who Jesus is, it's worth it. Put your feet in the ground and live for Jesus. Live for the God who's given everything for you. Just to summarize the order of salvation one more time for you. We talked about being born again or being converted or, or being regenerated several weeks ago. That means you're freed from the power of sin. You're born again, that sin has no more power over you anymore. We talk about justification, where you're justified freely in Christ. That means you're freed from the penalty of sin. We talked about sanctification a few weeks ago. That means you're freed from the practice of sin. That you could you could live your life apart from sin. And what is glorification? It means that one day we will be forever freed from the presence of sin. Meaning that it will no longer have dominion over us. So that's the end of the sermon series. That's what we long for. That's why we call this series Surprised by the Gospel, because that is what the Bible teaches. That is core Christian theology. And I pray that that, that takes you by surprise every time you hear it, because it does me. It does me. It gives me hope. gives me Conviction, gives me courage to keep going. Um, but I pray it does the same for you. So let me finish in prayer. Um, I'd like to pray for you as we, as we walk away from this series that we would be changed and long for that final day. So let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for the gospel Thank you that there is good news that we can cling to like an anchor for our souls. Thank you for the person of Jesus, for him being real, for him living a real life, for him really dying on a Roman cross for our sin, and for the hope that he really raised from the dead. And for what that means for all of human history, that that means all this has a purpose. All this has a final point. All this has a destiny that we will get to live into and we'll look back on this life and say all the sad things, all the bad things, they came untrue. So God, would you fill us with the hope of the gospel every day of our life? Would you bless this church? I pray that this would land softly on each of us now. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.